0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Poor Over Podcast, what is an extension of Peaks and Valleys. In this space, we seek to share the table with storytellers and seekers alike, hopefully and almost certainly over a great cup of coffee, because we know that brings people to the table. We seek and want to
1: see you flourish in your mental health journey. I'm your host, Jonathan Coggins. And I'm Kyle Ridgely, and I hope that this space is safe and inclusive for all. Welcome to the table
0: hello peaks and valleys and welcome to the first episode of 2024 the forever podcast i am one of the two hosts here jonathan coggins and joined by our other host Kyle Richley. What's up? Just a, before we jump into the how are you, Kyle, just, just a reminder um, for our audience and people listening in that this podcast is an extension and arm of our community peaks and valleys um check out our show notes for ways to connect with Peaks and Valleys with that community um Instagram, Facebook and we're going to be working on some things throughout this year as well um, to build out some more community in the Peaks and Valley space. Um so just a reminder of that of this is the podcast arm extension of the community Peaks and Valleys. Um, j- just so we're clear and you our audience knows um a little bit about us um and especially if you're listening in for the first time so check out the show notes and and ways to connect with the broader community of peaks and valleys all right kyle
1: how are you doing today sir Hmm. i mean we've there's been a lot of life that's i mean every time i get on here i feel like a lot of life's happened for everybody of course um yeah everybody kind of knows where uh, my life's been a little bit, um, a lot of transitions in 2023, um, a lot of changes in jobs, you know, living arrangements, financials, all the things, trying to figure out what I want to do and, you know, freelance work versus not, you know, just a lot of different things. And so juggling all those things has been a lot, but I've learned a lot and I've learned a lot about myself, uh, kind of learned to love myself a little bit better And uh, each day um but uh recently with the i think our last podcast was right before the holidays and so with the holidays uh got a new place so i had to move in the christmas holidays um the financials of moving into apartment because they're just so expensive it's it's out of this world why apartments are so expensive to move in for right away so i was like literally financially in the hole for a whole month and a half um and then juggling work and uh now i live a little bit further away from work so i have to commute to work understanding that dynamic and then a lot of relationship building and different things like that friendships jonathan knows more about that uh but uh a lot of different things that have went on uh this december and then end of january so the, a lot of things a lot of everything's picking up feels like quicker and work's picking up quicker and you know, so, yeah, and then some things that work with just being short staffed and all the things, and just a lot of figuring out my balance, I guess, with this new kind of like arrangement and all the things, so so yeah, that's kind of been my my days just kind of making it one day at a time and you know, focusing on my on myself and my self care and uh, so yeah, just a lot of a lot of that, a lot of life that trying to balance um a lot of just self-care, work life balance, you know, relationships, you know, spare time, all the things, you know, that comes with that on top of everything else. So it's been a little bit of a uh, a learning curve and I'm making it some some days of lows and some days of, of highs and that just kind of happens sometimes. And um yeah, so that's kind of been life for me recently, but been a little yeah. bit of a blur, but kind of like a overview summary yeah what about you yeah I'm good
0: well before we move on to me I mean we are neighbors now so yeah (laughs) and 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 the positive is that all of all of the moving and transitions and I know you have a few other things to do that we've talked about but a lot of the big things are done So. Do do you feel like you
1: can can breathe
0: better now, like after the um, move?
1: You know, I'm I'm normally an anxious person, so I will never probably be
0: able to breathe, to be honest. Yeah, but I'm but I'm Gemini, talking about so, just just in the sense <laughs> of that transition and move and like a lot of the big major things being done. Like, yeah. how does that
1: feel? Like, I mean, it, it 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 hasn't sunk in yet. I don't think I've had time to like. Yeah, enjoy true. things yet because it's just been so on the move I really have I mean the, the only real like extensive amount of time that I actually sat down and like just took it all in was like in the Christmas holidays um which was a couple days you know um so a lot of it's just been so quick that I don't think of and then I'm still trying to get you know my home is like my safe sanctuary and so trying to get it what how I want it, how to set it up, and like make the space that's and right. the energy in the space feel good, and it that's why I don't think I've uh, had time to really like absorb it and enjoy it, and um. So Makes yeah, I think that just takes time, but just the nervous energy is just normally it's uh it's a Kyle, so um, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever breathe. Maybe I will breathe one day, but just the anxious energy is just one of those things. So, but yeah, I get that. Yeah, I I'm
0: doing pretty good i guess um a little a little update we talked about this um i it was either our last episode of last year i think that's when it was but anyways i did not get into union seminary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is okay like you know I knew I knew that it, it was my hopeful, but I also knew that applying for master's programs like it was going to be a process of, you know, like it's challenging. Yes. But I did find another school that I'm hopeful about that has a social justice and human rights program that is really a lot of a lot of great stuff that's in in that program. So uh did I mention the school, Arizona? Did I say Arizona State? Mm, no, you didn't. Okay, yeah. Arizona State University. So, um, yeah, and it's a it's a pretty fairly high ranked school. So if I get in, um, you know, I, I know I'm going to get a a quality uh, degree in education in that. So mm-hmm. uh, again, same process. Fingers crossed. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just, yeah. And, and just like you, Kyle, man, just taking it day by day, like, you know, lear- learning a, a lot about myself and like, um,
2: you know, things that we've talked about, you know, on the podcast before of you fully accepting.
0: Like who you are, like um, not being just dis- not being afraid to advocate for things that you're passionate about, mm. um, that that worry about the way people view me and judgment is starting to starting to peel off, mm. you mm. know, so it 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 gets easier each day yeah. for sure Good. So Good step. step stepping into more of who Jonathan is, you
1: yeah. know. That's good stuff,
0: yeah, so yeah, other than that i'm I'm doing pretty well, you know, still roasting coffee, loving that um we're we're getting some some new coffees in in the next few months, which I'm really excited about so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah some some things to look forward to for sure,
2: new year, right, new possibilities, that's right, that's right. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, we will go ahead and jump into this. We have um, a fantastic guest for everybody uh, today. I know that this conversation is going to resonate uh, with a lot of people. It's going to be impactful. I know it is uh, just because of everything we've talked about. talk talk to this guest about in um, just the conversation that that we've brainstormed and fostered together. Um, So, I will go ahead and hand it over to actually one of our uh, peers and uh, friends from our undergrad, the Baptist College of Florida, Sarah Jane. Hey. Before thanks. Thanks for joining us Sarah and Lynn and your voice. Before we jump into you kind of introducing yourself, icebreaker question for you. So since this is a this is the Pour Over podcast. It's you know that ode to coffee about coffee fostering community, bringing people to the table, etc. First off, are you a coffee drinker?
3: Uh yes, majorly.
0: Okay. Okay. What yeah. is what is your favorite coffee and or brew method?
3: Um. So I have a Barista Touch Pro. Um. It's a very nice machine. I, and because like um I don't like pre-ground coffee. I like it fresh ground by myself. Um. Yeah. My favorite. Type of coffee is uh, dessert coffee because I like the the richness of the flavors. Um, I can't drink too much coffee because otherwise my heart explodes, and mm. I also have an anxiety problem, mm. and so mm.
4: uh,
3: it makes my anxiety go even higher. But mm. um, I but I am I think I would say that my favorite coffee would be a uh, cappuccino,
1: and so that's
3: very simple just to uh, have it ground and then um, you know, pat it down. And then make a shot of espresso across my milk,
2: heck, yeah, yeah, I love yeah. a good cat my
3: favorite one, yeah, that's yeah, um, of course, uh sometimes I enjoy an iced coffee, um and that's good from time to time as well, but um, I don't recommend uh dessert coffee for uh like a uh, iced coffee personally because yeah it's kind of, it gives a different flavor, it's not really the <laughs> <a> thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I could echo that, what you said about ground coffee. There's nothing yeah. like fresh ground coffee. There's just yeah. something different. Like when it's already pre-ground for you, oh, the, the difference is...
3: I, well, I also heard recently that if you are allergic to shellfish, do not buy pre-ground coffee because a lot of times there are cockroaches that get into the pre-ground coffee and it gets ground with it. So it's better oh. for you to grind it yourself if you've got an allergy because of... Uh, well you know shellfish or the cockroaches of the sea Mm,
2: so yeah
3: yeah. wow somebody might need to fact check me on it it's just something i heard recently but it Mm. would make sense because also with like cereal and other grains it's going to have bugs in it like the way it goes
0: yeah yep yep whole bean and grinding at home is the way to go for sure
3: absolutely i can't imagine and also over here um i live in the netherlands uh they don't have uh how you guys have in the states like at a diner and they just have a pot of coffee and they pour it like no you have to order an espresso or a uh, ristretto or something like that you have to you pick a coffee and they make it for you exactly like that i don't know anywhere that uh, doesn't grind the beans first like well they grind the beans and make the coffee but like yeah i don't know anywhere that goes pre-ground because you always order it fresh at that moment so
1: Mm, yeah definitely different different in europe for sure they take their coffee seriously and their beverages seriously
3: (laughs) very much so very much so and their beers oh my goodness they get their beers uh seriously i can
1: imagine i can
0: imagine
3: good stuff nice
0: nice all right well sarah i will just go ahead and um, hand it over to you to just introduce who you are, um, uh, just really whatever you want to share to help our our listeners get to know you a little bit, and then we'll jump into uh, your story and this conversation.
3: Sure. Um, so, okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I grew up in uh, south, uh, the northern part of Florida. To um, I, my family is uh, very conservative. Uh, for a time, we were independent Baptist uh, Christians, and then we became Southern Baptist Christians. I grew up my entire youth in the church. I, of course, uh, uh, you know, eventually went to BCF. I had intentions of becoming like a missionary because that's what my family also did at some point. Um, I, um, I was, I would describe myself as a very devout uh, Christian, took my faith very, very seriously, took myself. Um, probably even way too seriously. I uh, took myself way too serious. Um, and uh, yeah, I come from a pretty big family. Um, I um, enjoy reading about different religions. I uh, For about a year and a half, I practiced uh, Islam. Um, before that, I had been studying Judaism, and then before that, I had actually been uh, pretty involved in Buddhism. Um, now I would consider myself uh, spiritual. I I don't want to give myself a label.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that a little
0: bit uh, about yourself. Um, I guess uh, let's start at uh, Sarah. You you mentioned practicing Islam. And I know, I know for your own story and background, uh, my own like journey and story and background. And I know for Kyle's own story and journey and background because we share similar um, overlaps in the context in which we grew up. That. When you hear that
2: islam Muslim, yeah. you know that that
0: that's an other right yeah. that's a no go right
3: um
0: it's it's Christianity or bust yeah. basically uh, yeah, yeah, I would love to hear um, that journey um what that looked like going from christianity to islam what drew you to islam um what that journey and then you know if if there's anything you want to share about um the islamic faith uh, to really help humanize others that practice islam you know um love to to hear you share a little bit about that
3: well, for me, I think one of the the biggest driving forces um, to following Islam is the fact that um, in Christianity, I'm sorry, but the Trinity makes no sense. Um, and in Islam, uh, it makes so much more sense to me um, to believe that Jesus was a prophet, that he was a good man, and that he, because they believe in Islam, like every prophet was for a certain Period of time. So the prophet uh, Musa, who you who would know as Moses, um, he was for those people at that certain time, and it's the same idea with Jesus. And so, with uh, for instance, um, a little bit of background with Jesus, he was born during a time period when they were making a lot of scientific uh, discoveries within like the Roman Empire and and around there, and um, it was a scientific miracle that a virgin could give birth to a baby. That was just, you know, completely um so incredible. And also, it's uh mentioned also in the in the Quran that uh Jesus when he was a baby defended his mother when people were accusing her of of sleeping with someone outside of marriage. So um, you know, just a lot of uh a lot of things like that, and as well as um the fact that the Quran has never changed. It has never once been edited. It has never once in like the 1500 years that it's been around it has never been tampered with. There are translations in the different languages, but the Arabic text is here today. And so, and you know, because back then they were an oral culture. And so that's why the recitation is so important to Muslims. And it, um, I cannot understand why people do not, uh, that like the recitation. It is beautiful when you hear it. Um, and so, so it, also the, the sound of this is absolutely incredible but um with the quran like they had to compo- they were noticing that a lot of their soldiers uh, were dying in battle and stuff like that and um so they started to record it down on tablets and then they all of them had the same story and they put it you know into paper let's say and then they preserved it all of these uh, hundreds of years and so um when i compare that to like uh, for instance when the bible was created uh, i mean it's, uh, it's uh, quite different, it's not really the same. So knowing that the history was important to me. And also there was just a lot of scientific evidence that really backs up um, Islam as well. And that's another reason why I, I really found it to be a beautiful religion. Um, honestly, the kindest people I've ever met have been uh, Muslims. Um, even though I grew up in the church, that's like one of the biggest misconceptions that I feel that Muslims get is that um, Islam is violence, that um, the people are violent. And if you say, well, no, there's some cultures in the Middle East that are like that. Yes, that's their culture. And it's certainly not every person. They say, yeah, but that's what their religion preaches. Okay, so you want me to believe that everyone, uh, that, that Westboro Baptist is every Christian in America. You know, that if we're going to generalize here, let's go ahead and generalize. And so, um, you know, that's, you know, but I, I'm telling you like, I was never treated uh better um than how Muslim people treated me, especially like during Ramadan, how much people are there for each other and um are with each other. And it's a really beautiful time. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that experience. Um of course I'm not practicing Islam anymore. Um there was a few things that I disagreed with, like the concept of hell. Um there's uh like uh certain certain things as well, like um I love my friends in the LGBTQ plus community. And for me to say that they're going to burn in hell because of that, I don't feel comfortable with that. I, I consider that, you know, I just, I can't get on board with hundred percent of those things. And so um, there are certain aspects of Islam that I think are just absolutely still so beautiful that answer a lot of the questions that you would have for Christianity. Like um, we, we, we had talked previously about um uh when a when a woman miscarries a fetus. Uh we believe that, you know, they believe that uh when the woman miscarries a fetus that it goes up uh into into Jana and that the prophet Abraham brings the baby into a garden where he gets to play. And then when the day of judgment comes, um if you're destined to go to hell, your child will throw down its umbilical cord and It'll plead with Allah. Can you please? I didn't get to be with my mother. Can you please let me be with my mother? And Allah will grant it. And He will literally, the baby will rescue you through its umbilical cord, and that way you can enter paradise. And I think, um, I think maybe, perhaps because I'm a woman, that really resonated with me. The fact that um, even those small little details were something that was that needs to be mentioned. And so um, I really, um, they really drew me in. I really, I really did agree. Um, and believe in
2: all that because it gave me a sense of peace. Hmm. I I love all that, and I I would also add the um. You
0: you mentioned something so potent in that that, it especially in
2: the West when it comes to islam
0: you you mentioned uh you know people that are muslim practice islam uh, being violent etc that that being that being the narrative like a dominant narrative in the west right um just a a tangible kind of real current example that you know, we don't have to stay parked in this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's just a present, you know, real um, example um, when we're looking at like Yemen, you know, yes. or uh, Palestine, humanizing. right? Like it's 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 the undergirding of racism, yes, right, that leads people in the West to you know spit out that that hateful ignorant message that those people are violent right like and so yeah and i i think that what you shared again i think that really helps humanize like this conversation around people that practice other religions like islam like it's 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 not the ignorant you know rhetoric that we hear like that those people are violent there's actually some beauty and like some goodness in you know other religions there are you know
3: and so appreciate you a little bit of truth in everything
0: yeah absolutely Mm
2: -hmm.
3: yeah i think also um because um because i grew up christian i know a lot about christianity um and you know i uh i remember someone telling me Well, you have all these problems with Christians and you don't like Christians, and you keep saying how Christians did this and Christians did that. And they said, You can't generalize uh, Christians like that. You can't think of it like that. But in the same breath, they say, But Islam is a violent religion. And it's like Mm. this, and it's like, Okay, if we're going to make these assumptions about people, you need to pick a lane and stay in it. Because I'm telling you right now, Ninety, like I, I promise you, most Muslims know the Bible better than most Christians. I promise you, they've studied it, and like I, because I've met these people, and they've, you know, they've, they've told me even, and so they're able to even use the Bible and say, look, this is what it says, you know, and they're able to make arguments that on stuff that Christians don't even know about, you know, and so there's like this stereotype that's not only that they're that they're violent barbarians, but also that there's a stereotype that they're um they're just garbage people they just live in the mm-hmm. desert and they don't know anything of what they're talking about mm-hmm. but i mean the first university that was ever established in the world was, was by a muslim woman mm-hmm. um most yeah. scientific discoveries um back in time country were all like algebra where do you think that comes from says arabic you know like the, the, all mm-hmm. of these things you know astronomy is also uh, uh islamic founding you know they they discovered that and so it's just um it's really wild to me um, how the West is trying to make people who are uh, less developed than them look, look dumb. But actually mm. that's not the case. It's the result of colonialism that has ripped apart lands. And now, uh, you know, the victor of, uh, of anything always gets to tell the story, mm. you know? Mm. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest, and, and also one of my biggest problems is that people don't know their history. They don't read back on any of their history because, especially in America, we are taught only our own history, mm-hmm. and we do not know world history. So, I mean, for instance, let me tell you, this, this always gets me heated, is uh, during World War II, Hitler asked, um, because at that time, the largest concentration of Jews in Africa was in Morocco, and Hitler had asked the, um, I would, let's just say, for lack of a better term, ruler um, of Morocco, um, do you have any Jews there? And he and this Muslim leader said, "We don't have any Jews in Morocco. We only have Moroccans." You yeah. know, I mean, mm. these these kinds of stories. Why are we not being told this in in Sunday school? Why are, why is this not the narrative? You know, because I mean, we we and I think it's been a, it's a normal thing in, within Christianity to demonize anybody who believes differently than you, because every Most Muslims that I've met, especially, I mean, in Europe, they've all said, yeah, they do different than me, but I know what I believe, so I just move on with it. But I have not had that same experience with Christians.
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I I like your perspective on that when you said that often the victor becomes the one that tells the story, and that's very prevalent in our society and how we think about the world, especially from a we're reaching a point of post, uh, you know, colonial society and understanding these horrors and atrocities, a lot of that telling the story is almost whitewashed um, yeah, in a lot of ways. It's whitewashed, white- to yeah. and, and with that, whitewashing comes. Uh, racial connotations supremacy and usually we line it up to connecting what you said with that christianity it's that christo supremacy or that that the dominant religion of this world um while contextually islam judaism and christianity are all very connected in a lot of different yeah. ways it, you it's know they would have religions. Right, and and antiquity, and of course, uh, Islam, Judaism, longer than that. But there are very, uh, there's a lot of connective tissue in that culture of those main three big religions. And so, when we think of over here being, we have this whitewash mentality, and we've been taught all these concepts of history that supremacy the white is better the christianity it's it's better it's good it's flourishing for mankind it's this is the way it should be so uh definitely i think we should be challenged as western thinkers to delve into more of a unadulterated history and learn about the atrocities we don't want to especially in the context of the u.s there's a lot of silencing of real information specifically in florida if you've heard anything uh sarah recently about florida you know like controlling the narrative education and things like that it's very prevalent here and it's it's very pervasive in a lot of conservative states you know and it's like
3: fahrenheit Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 451-esque
1: very much so
3: throw it all away yeah Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, like, wh- one of the biggest misconceptions within is within Islam, I feel, is that um, we talked about the violence. And so, um, you know, I had I had spoken with uh with you guys before, but um, you know, in the Bible it says, and I believe in the Old Testament, they were somebody was commanded to go and to destroy the whole city, to kill the men, the women, and the children, leave nothing unturned, even the animals had to die. But when Islam came, that wasn't the case. They said, if somebody surrenders, you can't kill them. That's not allowed. And so if, unless they're fighting to hurt you, it's not allowed. And so um, there, you know, there's things like, like this. Um, and I mean, there, was there bad Islamic rulers? Absolutely. I will be the first to admit it. But in the same breath, I'll also admit to you that there's bad Christian leaders, and they're just as bad as the bad Islamic ones. I mean, the Crusades were started by Pope Urban II. And it took how many like hundred years to get that over and done with. And you know, like people will say, oh yeah, but you know the Christians uh, did this and this and this, and it was to preserve X Y Z. Okay, that's that's nice, but actually no, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was, they believed many of these uh, these uh, soldiers believed that this was how they were going to get to heaven was mm-hmm. by fighting and murdering Muslims. You know, mm-hmm. that's what they, they really believed that they were going to this was um this was gonna be their path to get into heaven. And mm-hmm. so you their holy
1: war in a sense. Yeah, they're yes, yeah, so they, of course. Relinquish their sins and if you did something yeah. wrong it would, you know, totally absolve they're you of war. sin that you fought.
3: Exactly. And it's uh, and you know, um you because of course in every war there's military tactics. So if you talk about the military tactics of the, the Islamic Empire, Everyone would be like, oh my gosh, it's terrible. But if you talk about the military taxes of the Christian empire, some reason that's okay because they're Christian. So that automatically equals good. And that's one of the most frustrating things when you talk uh, to, to, to people is that, especially because I haven't had this with Muslims, I'll be honest with you, the way that I've had it with Christians, because Muslims will also say, yeah, that he did do like that and we didn't agree with that because that's not what we were taught they will tell you that but i i've heard so often with christians like this repeated justification of these things you know As, like for instance like with um what happened with what happened in afghanistan you know people will justify it but the result is is millions of Afghanistani people are dead for no reason you know yep. and so like you know it's okay to say that something was wrong it doesn't mean that you don't believe in what you believe in anymore it just means that you acknowledge that this was bad and then you can move on from it
2: yeah 100 percent. so
0: i go going back to you know the the very similar ways that uh and experiences that all three of us have had growing up in you know, pretty similar Christian contexts. Uh, my assumption, Sarah, is that you probably heard the same uh, uh, rhetoric about Muslims and Islam. That that's a no go, right? Like they're an other, et cetera. We we have to evangelize them, et cetera, convert them. Yeah. So, going from where you were in. Uh, really a dogmatic fundamentalist Christian upbringing and growing up in that and then going to uh, for the year and a half that you practice Islam and moving around in that community, navigating that. I, I, I would assume that that would probably help you shatter some narratives and help you break down some dualistic ways of seeing the world i would love to hear more about how going into another religion like islam from that dogmatic christian past yeah how that really helped you break down some of the binaries of you in the world and dualistic ways of thinking
3: Hmm. i think one of the hardest parts was the fact that um my family heavily disagreed with it. Um, and they did not respect my decision at all. Um, I, love, I love my family, of course, but they did not respect uh, my my new belief system. Um, they just said it's wrong, and then that's how it's going to be. Um, so, I mean, I think it would be the same for almost any person from any religious family going you know, admitting that they're, they're gay or, you know, admitting, uh, that they're into another religion, of course, is going to be a bit of backlash in any way, you know? Um, but what it taught me, um, was that it's okay to explore and to be free. And, um, you know, the only, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm almost uh, 31 and they probably 31. And, um, my husband has provided me a safe space um, to do this, um, anytime that I've been interested in any religion, he's always supported me 110%, and so, um, that is one of the reasons why it's been okay for me, um, it hasn't been too difficult, but, um, it's, like, um, like, learning, just, like, learning about, like, uh, how, like, when you die, Christians believe that you go right to heaven, and Muslims believe that you wait until the day of judgment, um, Christians believe uh, you know, uh, you're not saved by works alone, but in Islam, works are very important because what if you're safe and you're just a terrible person your whole life, and you still get to go to heaven? That's not how it works in Islam. In Islam, you you take your Shahada, which is your profession of faith, and you also say your shahada in every uh, one of your five daily prayers. and then um, but you also have to be a good person. You can't just like become Muslim and be a bad person. So they a lot of like donations. They they believe that they like um, help to buy a mosque or to buy a seminary. but they're still receiving those good deeds after they die. And so um, man, it was like such a mind when you fig- you hear like this like kind of um, this kind of uh, how do you say it like uh, difference in death. You know because I was taught so heavily one way, and it it felt um, like almost like I was doing something wrong to go to a different religion you know and uh some nights i would panic be like what what if i what if none of this is real you know because you've been taught this one way only this one way is the right way and now i kind of laugh to myself because it's like there's a thousand different religions out there and you found the one you were the one who figured it out Mm -hmm. and i laugh about about that now but like um it's like it's so it's it also feels um really um um i I can't describe the the word like you feel it like tingle up through your body uh, up into your from your toes to your head the fact that you're um that you're learning something new that you're free that you can that it's it's okay that other people have a different way of life than you and so um it was uh the big thing with me was like the difference between heaven and hell uh and also within islam as well like Yes, there is hell for like an eternal way for some people. Yes, but if you if you live the your life and you know you just did like a few things that were bad, you could end up in hell for a time, and then you pay your time, and then you go to heaven. And so it's never in most cases it's like never like eternal damnation. It's just sometimes for a time. And so I think of like you know because we talk about the Christian God being the great God of grace and mercy and kindness and goodness, but it doesn't sound very merciful for God to just damn you to hell for your entire existence, you know? And so when I think of, uh, of that, you know, especially, um, with, uh, within Islam, that even in our death, even when we go to hell, Allah still shows people mercy. And I thought that was a a really beautiful concept as well as, um, you know, that, yeah, they acknowledge in every single prayer that Allah is the most gracious the most merciful. And, um, it's it's just so different because in especially the way that I remember it growing up, um, was uh, God hates this, God hates that, God is like this, and it's yeah, know, it's, it's so fu- Yeah, it's so funny to me now because and when I was at the mosque all the time, you know, uh, for the uh, for the afternoon prayers, I didn't experience any of that. I, I I was hearing how merciful Allah was and how kind He is and how much He loves people, you know. And you could just walk in, and you are family. You know, it's it's such a that's one of the things that really drew me in is that uh, you're together. It's a it, you become part of this. It's called the umma. It's like uh, it's another. It's kind of like congregation, but it's closer than that. It's the people that you're connected to that love you. And so, um, just seeing like uh, when you're talking about like dualistic, dualistic ways of seeing the world, um, I saw two two different religions. And the way I was told about the other was just completely the opposite. And it's it's a shame. It is such a shame that people do not do more research on Islam. Um, I mean, I've I've read a ton of Islamic books. Um, There's one called uh, Apostate by Joran Van Clavere. He's a Dutch politician, and uh, he left Christianity and became a Muslim uh, fairly recently. And uh, he originally wanted to get Islam out of the Netherlands. He hated it, and then he started doing research that he, of course, hadn't done before. And he figured out, okay, yeah, I have been wrong this whole time. And for him, he found he found his peace. And um, and he said, yeah, he's very uh, very devout in that. And so it was kind of funny to see someone like me also doing the same kind of thing, you know, somebody who was also um, a white person from a Western country who had. Uh, we call them reverts um, because to convert you have to be something that you're not but in islam you are all all children are born Muslim in the whole world and then you decide later on in life from your parents influence or your own to become a christian or to become jewish or any of those other things so by default all children if they die before puberty they automatically go to Jannah. and so um yeah that's something that not many uh christians would would know and so um you know, that that was also a really big uh explosion in my head that, you know, all of this all of the there was just so much information that is lacking within Christianity, I feel that there's no answers for. It's a lot of guesswork there within Christianity personally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um you you mentioned which we talk about a lot on here, is super important is finding those safe spaces, finding those safe yes. people in our lives, right? And I love that you have a husband that was supportive of that journey and, like, mm. you know, and also gave me... my you...
3: in-laws as well. I will have to credit my in-laws. Yeah. Uh, they, they absolutely supported me 100%. They didn't always understand it, but they, they supported me with it. And I'm forever grateful that while they didn't understand it, they still loved me they still cared about me they still let me practice you know my eid or do any of the things that i i wanted to do for it just a complete and utter respect that i i felt was was really um remarkable and they're catholic
0: yeah that's wow. good yeah. yeah and then like yeah. just what you mentioned like i you when you had that safe space like you had that those people in your life that like you mentioned, they they may not understand it, but they they gave you the space they supported, right? Like, et cetera. That is so powerful. And so you felt the freedom to explore. and then you mentioned like there was this freedom that you felt, yes, you right. know, not being chained down to you know, this pastor or leader, et cetera. Yes. like uh, shaming you for, even questioning your original faith tradition for another, like you know, and and I can see how like it's it's this theme that I see all the time that when we have those safe places and those safe people, we become less dualistic. We become more free and have more space to explore. And um, even if it's something that's just for a short period in our lives. We still have the freedom to explore, even if it's not for us for life. Right. We still have the freedom to explore it. And that's a good thing. That is okay. You know? Yeah. So yeah,
3: it's absolutely it's absolutely okay. You know, um and, and I think one of the like the biggest eye openers for me, because I'm a I'm a I'm a mother. I have a little boy. He's uh four years old. And um because I was trying to raise some Muslim And I was, like, watching him and then looking at him and, you know, making these decisions for him. I was like, who the the hell do I think I am to tell my son what to do and what not to do? He's four. He's four. He's four. He can't understand these concepts between heaven and hell. He can't understand that he can't eat a hot dog. He can't understand that he can't eat gelatin. You know, like, and I was just like, do, like I was like thinking, am am I making myself God's my son by the, because all of these things they're so small, you know. No, you can't you can't do that because of this reason or that reason or you know. But like if it's within reason, of course you know don't jump off a building or, or things like that. But if it's these tiny little things, you know, like eating a hot dog or having a gummy with gelatin in it, I I don't want to control that. I don't want to be controlling because you know what, one day he's going to grow up and he'll resent me for it. And um, my husband, he grew up in such a a free household where he got to make his own decisions. And he is the most well-rounded person I know in my entire life. He can go to bed at night and just close his eyes and go to sleep. He doesn't think until three o'clock in the morning. He doesn't worry about anything. If he has a bad day, he goes, yep, it was a bad day. I think they're mad at me. Okay. And just moves on. And so, you know, like, because I have so much religious trauma. And so to, to think about what maybe I was putting my son into, I was like, I can't do that. I can't make that mistake. He's his own person. He should decide what he wants to be when he grows up. I mean, my, my parents wanted to do like a baby dedication when he was uh, about six months old. And I refused to do it because my son, people will think I'm ridiculous, but my son cannot consent to a baby dedication. He cannot consent to a mm-hmm. baptism. And yeah. I I will defend his right to consent even mm-hmm. when he's an infant. Mm-hmm. You know
1: that's yeah. good. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's a uh, one of the elements I see a lot is that when it comes to it, especially in the context we grew up in in Western thought, like children should be controlled and monitored, mm-hmm. and you know everything should be. You know, there's within reason, obviously, but obviously. Uh, to make sure that they are in a safe environment. But it comes down to what you believe, what you see, how you think, what you what you like, what you dislike. It's it's a very uh, non consensual type of relationship that most of the context we grew up in was for children even when I was raised I mean and, and innately no one knew they were actually doing it but it's a generational type of like wiring that we all have to kind of pull out of us in a sense and I can Absolutely. you know with you when you said that it's like you found yourself like going I, sh- I can't do that you know like but it's that natural wiring yeah. that I think that we ultimately think everything has to be controlled and monitored in a child's life and understanding that that child is also an individual while they may not be able to conceptualize every single facet of their life it's up to us as caregivers, guardians, parents, to make sure they have a safe environment, to be able to express their feelings, to be able to have conversations, to be able to think for themselves. And I think that that, that's a, that's a, one of those hard things to think about, even when it comes to like dedications or baptisms, like some, you know, denominations within Christianity believe in infant baptisms, but reality is that within itself is not consensual. That child hasn't reached an age where they can say, Hey, I believe this, or I don't believe this, or even had the time to like, so I think it's, It's interesting that, you know, you said that and and I hear that a lot in the context of deconstruction and living in that space of coming out of religious trauma and having thoughts for yourself for the first time. It feels so strange, like even (laughs) right hundred percent even with me yeah. and john we, we would in the beginning of uh, like deconstruction we're like is that weird that i think that like that we would always have to get like validation from each other that like yeah. is this okay you know so i, I get that but yeah i remember
3: when we spoke recently i was mm. like that's what because i was having like uh an like a, a hard time when we, we had spoken last but after we had talked i was like i'm not weird mm-hmm. i'm okay mm-hmm. and it's going to be okay and there's yeah. people who are like me who like are still figuring it all out, mm-hmm. and that's okay too, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, like with with consent, like I was, I I will say I was forced to go to church as a kid, mm. Sundays and Wednesdays. I was forced, and nobody can tell me otherwise. I know what I remember, and I remember not wanting to go because I was getting bullied so hard at church because I was mm-hmm. a, a weird kid, and yeah, I was pretty goofy. I'll I'll admit. I mean, we all were that kid mm, at some right. point, right? And um. <laughs> And, you know, I hated it. I hated going there. Um, I ended up being addicted to self-harm mm-hmm. um, because I was getting bullied so badly there. Um, and I, you know, I just, I got so lost. You know, I was so scared all the time. But, of course, nobody was going to listen. Mm-hmm. Nobody did, you know. And so, eventually, I did find, like, a counselor and stuff. But, but I still had a really hard time. And when I finally left that church um it, it, you know it was that be- it was better but it damage is already done and mm-hmm. i remember being abused at church even when i was a young child um probably around my son's age actually so i mean a lot of these choices i didn't get to make on my own i i will ask my son and you know because you know what? people have such a hard time with the fact that people are letting their children decide for themselves oh it makes them so mad mm-hmm. and it's like i asked my son what would you like for, for, for lunch? Oh, I want a chicken sandwich. You got it. But other people are like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, they make, they make something out of nothing. So if I say to my son, oh, you want to go to church today? Yeah, I want to go. Okay, you can go. And there's, because there's a Catholic church in my, in my village. And so he'll go and he'll look at it and he'll be, and he'll tell me, um, yeah, Jesus uh, is a baby. And I'll say, yeah, he grew up and he, he was a good man. And he goes, no, mom, he's not a good man. He's a good baby, you know, and, and letting that be enough. And you know letting letting him figure it out for himself explore it for himself and not telling him yeah he's the son of god no you know start praying because i remember when i became a christian i was seven years old and like my parents had explained the concept of heaven and hell um and all these things life and death but you you can't expect a child to understand eternal damnation
4: yeah yeah how could you
3: possibly how could you conflict. possibly think a child could even wrap their head around that i'm mm-hmm. 30 now and I, I was like and you know and also as a child you just want to make your parents happy mm-hmm. that's like your one of your main things is that you want your parents to be proud of you so you're going to copy your parents in every mm-hmm. way so i hope that when my son sees me he sees freedom and that he's going to emulate freedom not only for himself and his mm-hmm. own choices but for those around him and to be kind and accepting of that
1: mm-hmm. yeah i, mean I- I think that one concept that we try to hit on in this in this podcast is talking about um navigating from that space of pulling apart things deconstructing from that those harmful views Is understanding yeah. that there's certain ways we look at trauma and how do we how do we do everything we can as an institution as a people that has a lot of responsibility of of uh collectively gathering of people maybe leading an organization is that we have to practice informed consent? Like we have right. to give all the facts and all the information, good or bad, and say here it is. That and
3: children can't children can't give consent
1: because mm-hmm. they
3: don't understand it, right? So,
1: right. right, yeah,
3: Even if I was seven years old and I said, "Oh yeah, I accept it," and I give consent to be a Christian, I did not understand. Mm-hmm. I am a
2: child.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. yeah. Do y'all do y'all want to know what I think should go to eternal damnation?
2: yes
0: hell fear porn to get people to convert to christianity mm-hmm. yes <laughs> that mm-hmm. that can that that can go to the hell houses
3: jonathan the hell houses
0: mm-hmm.
3: i that, remember going that to, can be condemned one of those forever
2: things, mm-hmm.
3: to the one in defuniac i don't know if you remember they had a yeah. big one in defuniac springs and i went to that and i was like even i mean i was a devout christian then and i was even like Okay, this is mm-hmm. kind of weird. Like, right. and like, especially when you take this step back, it's like almost like cultish. Like mm-hmm. to see because mm-hmm. like fear mongering is one of the biggest things with mm-hmm. things within cults, you know. And you know, I just I, I take a step back and I'm like, oh my goodness. And you know, of course, my husband is European. Seventy eight percent of the Dutch population is atheist. Um mm-hmm. and uh and so my husband's part of that seventy eight percent more or less and. I'm telling him these stories, and he was like, "What the hell place is Florida? Like, what is <laughs> right. happening there?" And you know, just like, and I'm I'm telling him all this stuff, and it's because of him that I found out so so many of the things I went through were not normal. My husband was never hit as a kid. He was never spanked. You know, um, he was he was always treated like a, a person. You know, and uh, his parents were not perfect. They yelled. They raised their voices because that's you know you're you're human too. But um, it's just so so interesting because we have this like christians have this idea that if you're not a christian then your family life must be really terrible if your parents don't bring you to church and teach you good morals but you know my 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 in-laws are catholic but they're not like actively like really heavily practicing um but they have given my husband such freedom to be who he wants to be and it's just that's another misconception that christian doesn't automatically equal good it, you know sometimes you can have an abusive christian household and uh, a very pleasant non-christian household
1: mm, yeah 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 it's 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 amazing i mean i think it you know, just thinking about that i have like actual trauma triggers from thinking about like those judgment houses and stuff like that yes. i when i grew up And I'm pretty sure most of us are kind of in the same age group, Um, but in the 90s and like up into the early 2000s, like judgment houses were all the rage in thrown in there with like the Jesus freak movement and like DC talk and the powerhouse people that would come by. And rip the phone books and like you know all this stuff. Like I'm I'm thinking back to that and just how cringe it is now. Of like how big that movement was for so long, and then walking into those like houses where you know they would show you hell and heaven and what living a life of sin would look like, and then the end of the world comes and you're left behind, and then you're tortured by the antichrist. And like as a child, it was like it was its own form of like trauma. Like that that was it. You know. Aces. That's the adverse childhood experiences. When we talk about the score of where the some of those traumas come from and those triggers, like that was probably one of my biggest aces was judgment houses. And like every time of it, they would share the gospel to like scare you. Like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to be here during the end time. So let me let me rededicate my life real quick to make sure I'm good with the big man upstairs, you know. Um, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) Gosh,
3: nice to use uh, fear for mind control. I like Mm -hmm. that. I mean yeah. Hitler did something similar, I think, right? Like
1: the psychological yeah. tactic.
0: It 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 also kinda takes me this conversation kind of takes me back to satanic panic and mm. <laughs> I there's I just, there there's a an account I'll follow on Instagram. I don't remember the name of it, but they post like cringy, like nannies. Satanic Panic videos and they're really funny, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, they're, there's now one they're funny. They're, yeah, now they're funny. There, yeah. there, there's one of this pastor like talking about Pokemon ha, and how Pokemon
1: yes. is connected oh, to the I've occult. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious now. It's, oh God, Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh, Dungeons and Dragons, Satanic Panic. Man, that was all the rage when we were growing up. Like <laughs> Satanic yeah. Panic. I remember I wanted to buy some Yu-Gi-Oh cards when I was young. And my mom went into a gas station. I was like, mom, I want some Yu-Gi-Oh cards because all my friends had them and I wanted to be included. And the the lady at the front of the convenience store desk told my mom, had a whole long conversation with her. Did you know that there's demons? In Yu Gi Oh, if you buy your son this card, he's gonna be possessed by a demon. I remember this conversation so clear. The clearly.
3: monster energy drinks, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The symbols and the and oh, the, the Oreos, you know. There's a satanic symbol. Everything is, is satanic. You know. The satanic panic yeah. still exists. You know. It was a big wave, like in the 70s and leading up into the 80s when Dungeons and Dragons came out. But like yeah. it per- per- permeated through the early 90s and 2000s but with the it's, Jesus. It's
3: it's so interesting that you mentioned that because we're talking about like satanic stuff. Um, like um, cause I've been studying uh, and reading about paganism and how mm-hmm. um, a lot of people give pagans a really bad name, but mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the history, it, it's very damning what the Christians yeah. have done to the pagans. And yeah. um, I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would never agree with, with human sacrifices that occurred within pagan religions, but yeah. I mean, um, with, with, with even now, people like to demonize pagans, but many of the pagans that I know only like rocks, like they're collecting <laughs> crystals and, yeah. they're just, you know, and they're vibing and they're, you know, they're just doing yeah. their thing. I, I know some people who follow like Norse mythology, mm-hmm. they don't do anything even, yeah. even remotely, you know, strange or curse mm-hmm. like, you know, a lot of them, you know, they focus on the earth and how we can leave this place better you know being kind you know and so that's one of the other things that is heavily Mm um misunderstood is that um Mm -hmm. that pagans are bad people and i've Mm -hmm. you know that was that was also my toughest thing to deconstruct Mm -hmm. my toughest thing because you know um you know i was taught like oh maybe this item is cursed and that's why bad things are happening Mm because you have to be careful where you buy this and this and And you know what no Mm
1: -hmm. just now
3: uh yeah like
1: yeah. And it's interesting that you said that, like, I'm, I'm a part of a lot of different, like, um, you know, pagan groups around like town yeah. and like, they're really cool people. I hang out with them and yeah. like, you know, doing my own research and just the pagan, uh, yeah. full scope of Europe, like before yeah. Christianity, like a lot of this stuff about like sacrifice. I'm not saying it wasn't happening, but like no. these things that we like, the demonization of that p pe- right. and, and and again from that context and before and that- let's
3: not pretend like it did like it happened all the time right not right all the and,
1: time and we think about like how christianity the universal catholic church at that time would yes. to to convert people they would say did you know that pagans eat people and da-da-da-da. like it was a way to they
3: to- did that to jews too right Love right <laughs>
1: right so it's like these narratives that we hear today are very whitewashed of of the yeah. pagan uh, culture, uh, like the surrounding Celtic culture, European cultures. And oh, yeah. I wouldn't even say that, like, even when you read historically, I don't believe what we have, like what we have is it's very little muddled. It's it's could have been lost to time. But like, for the most part, like pagan now we use neo pagan, you know, like pagan yeah. wasn't even used as a term back then no, to describe was, uh, the celts or weird. germanic tribes you know
3: uh gnostic would be a better term mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was uh, yeah, i believe anybody that didn't follow christianity was considered gnostic and mm-hmm. they believed that jesus was a great story mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it was 100% mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. a hundred percent happened it's a book i told you about called the jesus mysteries they talk they touch very heavily on that fact and they even say in that book it feels dirty to say these things, you know. It mm-hmm. feels scary, mm-hmm. like somebody's gonna like poke their head out from behind the corner and be like, "Gotcha," you know, like yeah. th- that you believe these things. But yeah, it's like, uh, like so much was lost because mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the thing that we're just not taught in Sunday school is the fact that um, for like all of these uh historical things that happen, you know, um, that Christians like uh, let's just say Christians for because I don't know what they would have called themselves back then. They murdered people. Mm-hmm. They, they yep. said, "If you don't believe in what we believe, then we you're gonna die. Burn like, you or cut your head so, off or torture you." <laughs> and it's it's so it's so funny because you know they want to act like Muslims are the bad guys, but Christianity has also shed its fair share of blood, mm-hmm. and people now are just jumping on some sort of bandwagon, you know. Um, that just hate on Muslims because they need to, somebody to hate. I mean, if we mm-hmm. don't have somebody to hate, then, you know, but like um, like Christians have been responsible for a ton of bloodshed, mm-hmm. for a lot of lost lives, um, mm-hmm. for a lot of history lost mm-hmm. that will never be back, you know? Um, and they're also like, um, yeah, they're responsible for, for a lot, of, like the dark ages even,
4: mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm.
3: Um, they're responsible, like Christianity even now um with how it's uh yeah i would i will say like conservative christianity about how they want to make a choice for a woman's body and Mm -hmm. it's not their choice to make you know these these types of things um yeah it's just like a a massive controlling Mm -hmm. religion that Mm -hmm. i've never experienced uh before and um i've I've mentioned to you guys as well i watched shiny happy people and i remember Mm -hmm. all of that happening growing up and um at some points it was like um triggering. Uh mm-hmm. because especially like um just like all of these conferences or you know, watching hearing about how the kids got spanked, you know, uh I was just I was like, I have to pause this. I have to, you know, step away. Um uh, sorry, that's uh also on a on another topic, but mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> but yeah, like uh no back to paganism yeah there's a huge misconception for mm-hmm. pagans that there are these demonic people dancing naked in the forest and mm-hmm. killing cats and stuff and that's just and worshiping uh, satan
1: and you know yes. all the things you know so it comes from the satanic panic every time you see a pentagram it's like oh there was a satanic ritual like pentagram is yeah. way before satan people don't understand yeah. that satan the the, the the actual idea of satan which i don't even believe in my context now of like studying theology yeah. and deconstructing is that is it even a real like concept you know and we think about satan all these things that they say are satanic were way before satan even was put on paper or the context of satan you know ancient and ancient jews and antiquity didn't even believe in the concept of like hell or satan you know i mean this understanding of where this satanic panic came from is like very interesting to like go through historically and see where it comes from and a lot of it comes from American Christianity, like that—that's yeah. where a yeah. lot of this comes from. Yeah, it's just all
0: these. I always just see so many arcs and themes, like from just the domineering version of Christianity. That, I mean, fill in the blank. Uh, yeah. pagans, Muslims. Uh, I mean, Jewish people. Yeah. Uh fill in the blank any group or movement that is deemed an other by the domineering Christianity. So all these it's it's these alternative things and narratives that are, they try to shape and create. Uh like just an example, like we are having a resurgence in America of just domineering christians that want to christianize america like yeah. that will and even world. go in the world and the world yeah but just in our context it, I'm, like i'm so sorry we to are. burst
3: their bubble i'm sorry to burst their bubble but islam is the fastest growing religion
0: it is you're world. right
3: it's not going to happen for them
0: mm-hmm. no but um like e- even go to links to because th- this has happened a, a few times that i've seen try to discredit the civil rights movement in america Mm -hmm. and discredit right like in it's just all these strains and arcs that i see throughout history of like christianity like not wanting to own their own shit (laughs) like and say hey like hey we we've we've been the bad guys a lot of times right like
3: and it's okay to admit that exactly okay like i want to like i told you before i want to know why i wasn't taught that martin luther at first was like jews cool like them and when they didn't convert to reformed uh christianity he was like okay kill them all and burn their their uh their synagogues why was i not told this i mean Mm -hmm. you know like and i use the example like you know you you love your parents but sometimes your parents do bad things. And it's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad person to tell your mom that she messed up. You know, it's okay to admit it bad, that, that, admit that there was something that wrong that happened. But, you know, the more that they try and cover it up, you know, the more it's like you're just denying responsibility mm-hmm. in a way. It's like you're accepting that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah.
1: But it's not, like, genuine, um, not genuine. It's
3: not. It's not. And I'm not saying, oh, Christians need to apologize to me for all of all. No, I'm not saying that. I'm asking to at least hold yourself accountable
4: mm-hmm.
3: to it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying yeah. you're responsible for it, but I'm saying hold the, the your history accountable. Mm-hmm. Recognize that it happened. Don't try and lie because mm-hmm. if you try and lie, that's you know, that's the you know a big problem that I have, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, got to be honest with each other,
1: yeah, it's the elephant in the room. We all know it's true, but yeah, most it's you know, in the context we are we were in it's a lot of denial it's a lot of delusion of like oh no we didn't do that was a different time that this this you know to deflect from the reality yeah. and um yeah but it's
3: so funny that you mentioned context because that's what they tell us to always read the history books we mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
4: right so context determines the meaning context, right <laughs> yeah yes.
3: so if you know that this was happening and it's like sometimes no sometimes you're just wrong and it's okay like you can mm-hmm. admit it it's mm-hmm. okay and it doesn't mean that you don't still believe what you believe in. You can just say, yes, I acknowledge that it happened. And yes, I believe that was wrong, but I still believe in this. I would have so much respect for anybody, you know, yeah. that, that thought that. Um, of course, I still wouldn't believe what they believe in, but I'd have respect for them.
4: Mm-hmm. Well,
3: I have respect for them regardless, but mm-hmm. I would be more, more willing to understand their viewpoint.
4: Yeah. Because when people yeah. come at
3: me with this dogmatic behavior, like I had, I had mentioned uh. Jonathan I asked him on Facebook one time uh, for the Trinity to be explained to me some people were whiling out on me and it was like mm-hmm. calm down and Jonathan was the only person who responded with kindness and with a really well thought out paragraph of why he believed in what he believed and I I was like I had a lot more respect for that because it's like he's not trying to convert me he's just explaining what he believes in you know I just and I always I they always stuck with me you know and then but you know, one thing I wanted to mention is um if that's okay is evangelizing.
4: Mm, mm, <laughs> mm, because yeah. you know, um
3: I like now that I've deconstructed I would say entirely from Christianity, it's I would say that it's like military tactics.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um because mm-hmm. they have, like, a like they're like, okay, this is the mall that we're going to, and there's four exits to this mall, and we're going to send out a couple to this place, man and woman, to this place, man and woman, this place, they were, and the woman talks to the women, and the man talks to the man, and if there's a couple, you talk to them together. And I was like,
4: mm-hmm.
3: it's military, like, you're making these plans. So of course, they believe, oh, I'm part of the army for the Lord, so I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was, like, as I deconstructed, I realized just how gross that that is. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, how i would almost say like manipulative mm-hmm. to get people on a nice day mm-hmm. to try and believe your religion like that i think that's uh it's really scary um mm-hmm. as well um i remember because uh, i i was uh, covering my hair before i was wearing something called the jilbab it's uh it's a long islamic dress where just your face is showing and your hands of course and i was walking with my son and uh a man came up to me and he goes have you read the quran and first of all, I was a lone woman with my child and you're a man approaching me that is completely unacceptable. I don't know why he thought he could do that, um, especially if I'm a covered woman, because yeah, we don't uh, talk to random men like that in the street mm-hmm. for no reason. Mm-hmm. And um, I looked it up, I looked up at him and he said, I know what you're doing and stop. And mm-hmm. he was like, oh, I just, I said, no, I don't want it. And I want, mm-hmm. I, want I really want your listeners to know that you can tell people to stop
4: mm-hmm.
3: and it's okay because you know advocating yourself for yourself is not mean if you don't want something don't take it you can mm-hmm. say no I don't want that and it's okay I mean I told you guys also one time a woman came up to me and she was smiling at me and she's like hi how are you and I was like I'm good because Dutch people don't do that here mm-hmm. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. not they're not that kind of small talk people and uh, I was like I'm good I'm trying to figure out where I know her from." And then she's like, I wanted to give you uh, something. And I went, No. And she's like, Oh, really not? And I said, Absolutely not. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, have a nice day. And I was just like, I just left it. I just I because I, I don't want to be affiliated with it. I don't want to, I don't want to get random flyers from people mm-hmm. and all these things. And so with evangelism, I also remember having to evangelize in the States. And I was also previously a missionary to different countries. And uh, standing and doing street evangelism and doing these kinds of things. And as I remember, like the evangelism tactics that they gave to give to other people of different cultures, they even, yeah, they would give, even tell you like the culture that the person is in and the basic religion and how you can manipulate uh, that belief system into talking about Christianity and Mm -hmm. how to find a way to prove that your belief is the right one. Mm -hmm. And just being completely like, and then I deconstruct, I'm like, that's terrible Mm -hmm. i was part of taking care i was part of taking away someone's hope Mm
4: -hmm.
3: like you know someone's Mm -hmm. someone's own culture i Mm -hmm. like i was pulling them away from who they were their beliefs as you know all of these things and for what so they can follow my white christianity from Mm -hmm. america Mm -hmm. you know that was just like when i look at Mm -hmm. myself i i feel ashamed and sorry that Mm -hmm. i I was a part of that Mm -hmm. yeah your brainwashed i mean yeah
1: and we've yeah. all, we've all been there and and experienced that for sure. I mean, it's, when we think about it now, I it just comes to mind. It's like, it's not consensual. Um, yeah. A lot of times we're taught to like berate someone like, and when they say no, or they try to like deviate or we we're always trained to go in, well, what about this? Que-? And they do the questions, you know, like, oh, well, yeah. do you know where you're going to go? Like, it's just continuous. It's not consensual. If someone says no, or starts to walk away, we're almost trained to like harass that person in a sense like follow them and try to we just want you to go to heaven and like you know it's very unethical very uh very like um, unconsensual. It's not like you know we we're not taught as Christians, especially from our context, to like know what no means no. That's why we see a right. lot of con- context within like a lot of abuse happening in churches okay. and evan- with um, evangelicalism is because of the fact that there's not a understanding of what is consent. No yeah. means no. You know.
3: It, it's it's also really funny because I took a course at DCF called Evangelizing to Muslims. It's so ironic, mm-hmm. now.
4: Full um, <laughs> cool circle. Us, uh,
3: yeah, they taught us how to uh, take apart the Islamic faith. And part of, like, our our uh, our class, one of our assignments was that we had to find a Muslim and try and evangelize them and report back on the evangelism that we did for that person. And that person does not get to consent to being in your school, your school subject. They didn't know that. You know, what if you had made a friend? And then they find out that you, they were just part of a school assignment. How disgusting is that? That is a person. And mm-hmm. you made friends with them for what? You know, and it's just that kind of stuff just blows my mind that that kind of stuff is seen as acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and some of us were yeah. not able to even find Muslims. I mean, it was uh, in Graceville, you know, that's not where a lot of Muslims mm-hmm. are, maybe in Dose yeah. And I, I can't, it's been, but it's been so long since I've been there. But I mean, like the fact that we were told to go out and search is like hunting mm-hmm. for, for people do your school assignments mm-hmm. man that, that's what like how dehumanizing do
0: you have yeah. to be yeah, yeah i was sure. i was i was about to say the same thing sarah like viewing yeah that's just super cringe and gross and dehumanizing like when because I, I remember like having to go out and evangelize and be graded for it you yeah. know mm-hmm and was a grade. Was a grade. like 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 this person me pro me proselytizing this to this person was only for a grade this person yeah. was used for a grade mm-hmm. in a course yeah. that's gross mm-hmm. yeah it gross. is
3: it is gross i did mm-hmm. it too you know i, I yeah. we all had to take that basic level force so mm-hmm. you know like it's just yeah. it's so terrible that we're that that's okay to do and it's 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 wrong it's mm-hmm. it's really wrong it's disturbing mm-hmm. um it's yeah. manipulative yeah
1: you know yeah. Yeah. people can't I,
3: give consent to, to this stuff
1: yeah for sure and 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 so with that i mean we talk about a lot in these podcasts about like there's layers to everything um we think yeah. there's just this face value of like this is what this is this is what this religion is things like that But there we understand that there's more complexities about a person, about a topic or issue um, that we don't always see readily. So having those conversations and really understanding that even as a person, we intersect in a lot of different areas. Right. We intersect in a lot of different we 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 fall into different categories and identities and those those can be complex within themselves that uh, really speak to our experience. So. Uh, based on all that, that you've said, you know, and then your journey of like coming from Christianity, cultural dogmatic, and then going and searching out faith for yourself and that experience of spirituality, Islam. And then you said you practiced a little bit of, um, I guess you said Buddhism a little bit. Yeah. 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 And so how would you say like also being um, a cis woman would your experience within that context.
3: just about to bring I was yeah. just about to bring that up. I was just thinking about that. Um, so, as you guys know, and I'm sure your listeners know, women and Christianity are supposed to be quiet and mm. kind to submit to their husbands. And I have never been that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have always been outspoken, and I've always spoke my mind and i remember one time a uh, a guy at bcs told me that i was never going to find a man because no man was going to want to have to uh to be with somebody that was like me and i said good because if a man can't handle me then that's okay and i think um you know especially like as as being a a woman um navigate i had to i had to lessen myself i had to cheapen my worth to to be seen as something valuable. You know, um I had to I had to be nice. I had to be like this. I had to smile. Uh you know, I had to do things that uh, you know, like babysit the kids or do stuff like that, you know, to, to make myself look a certain way. But I never fit that. And I tried to fit into that mold, but that box that was built for me, I was too big for. I would always come come out of it and eventually you know, it was difficult because you're being told you have to be a certain way, and you can't be that certain way. And then you you still try and fit in that box because you don't want to accept, like, the, the whole structure itself. But eventually, you have to let yourself be free. And so many people, you know, are trying to compare to themselves, like Elizabeth Elliot, how she was so weak and so kind. But you know what? Um, no, I don't want to be like that because you can be strong and kind at the same time without people walking all over you. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I had to deconstruct from is like knowing that it's OK for me to be a strong woman. Um, and also, you know, as especially like as a, as a child, learning that there's learning now, especially with my husband, he's because he grew up in a different environment than me. There's no man's role and woman's role it's everybody's and so um my like for instance i remember when my husband and i first got married i was still a christian and i was like well you're the leader of the house so you get to decide and he was like what are you talking about and i was like well if you're the leader you're the man and you have to, to lead the family and he was like i'm not doing that we make decisions together or we don't but we're not going to go pick jobs and things like this like we do this as a team so to see that was just completely uh, mind-boggling for me. And even with like um, with my Muslim friends that I've met over here, like I said, within certain cultures, it's different towards women. But what have I what I have experienced is that the Muslim women that I met, they had great marriages. They were free. They got to do so many different things. They got to, you know, they they were themselves. They got to be strong and independent. And be be free to choose what they wanted. They didn't they didn't have to, to lessen themselves to be to be desirable to a man, you know. Um, you know they they still respected themselves. They covered themselves appropriately. But you know I I it was very different because I remember saying also to Muslim friends of mine, you know like well, what about a woman's role? And she said a woman's role is what you want it to be. If you want to go to work, you can go to work. If you want to stay at home, you can go stay at home. It's up to you to decide. So hearing that there was options, you know, I was like, oh, that's uh that's interesting. Um but um yeah, it's very difficult when you are a Christian to uh break away from those gender stereotypes, I would say. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question exactly. Yeah. Or if I, yeah. I yeah, I mean yeah,
1: that, that was the good. your experience in the context. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um yeah. I'm, I'm also wondering, um with your own journey of of being uh a white uh woman from the west and um going to uh from christianity to islam um and then we we talked about you know some ways that that help you break down some dualistic ways of view in the world um Mm -hmm. has that impacted your view of the world and other people like
3: yeah yeah how so um, I am not judgmental of other people's voices. um I know I said a lot of things about Christianity, but um, you know uh when somebody tells me this is what I believe i'm like, okay that's nice for you I'm happy for you because I recognize that their peace is not my peace, and i don't get to decide what their peace is, and so if it if that gives them that joy that they need in their life i'm not gonna you know, like go after them for it, and I think that's probably like the biggest change that I've experienced is that mm. I am a kinder person, I am more understanding, more empathetic, and um, I would say I'm more careful with what I say to people as well. Um, I try to be more encouraging, more loving because I know what they've gone through, and um, probably what they might go through in the future, so um. And it's because I honestly I will say I come from a place of privilege as a white woman from the West. Um the I at at some point because I was covering myself, I experienced racism. And I remember saying to myself, Why are you guys being racist to me? I'm like you. And then like that light going on in my head, like we're all just like each other. So, you know, like you know like this kind of like thinking that that internalized racism, I would say, hmm. was completely shut down because you don't even realize that you have it. And yeah, it's it's embarrassing to admit because of, but I, you know, where I'm from, I didn't even know that I had that internalized racism, you know? And so um, I remember thinking to myself, I'm, I'm just like, like you guys, I'm from the West, you know, and you're you're calling me these names and stuff and like saying these horrible things. And that made me realize I need to be so much better of a person to everyone that's around me because we're all the same people we all we all have our own struggles that you know um we we always think of other people as like the NPCs non-playable characters but that's just not the case every one of us has to go home at night and lay down and think of the thousands of things that are hurting us you know and so I think what I've gone through in my place of privilege is being a voice for other people who are suffering because a lot of people will hate on a lot of like Uh, especially Moroccan and Arab immigrants that come to the Netherlands, because we do have a lot of refugees, I'll admit that, and being a voice for them saying, well, I'm happy that they're here and there's reasons that they are here and here's how we can help them. Because Ukrainians did not uh, experience uh, racism like the the Middle Easterners who are also refugees did when they came here. We have a lot of, we have a, a huge influx of Ukrainian refugees that came in, and they were they were given jobs they were given a place to stay, you know they were like, woohoo, you know it was great for them, but when the Muslims come in suddenly that's a problem and so um i would re- i mean if I had spoken if I spoke better Arabic, I would definitely work more within um say that in english um uh I don't really know the name of Dutch. it's like uh when you help refugees, um I would love to do something like that um but uh yeah it's 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 really
2: uh difficult uh to um how do you say that like
3: to be to be there for somebody because I don't know what they went through a hundred percent because i'm I, you know I'm so different from them, but at the same time we're all the same
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's good and 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 something that really keeps me grounded Sarah um really connects with what you said um whether it's you know confronting racism or speaking up for our queer brothers and sisters that you
3: have in yourself you know there's racism in yourself and you have to deconstruct that as well
0: yeah for sure um or it's you know speaking up for our queer brothers and sisters or you know anybody that's this marginalized or like oppressed like something that keeps me grounded and going in continuing to speak up no matter who it is right Mm -hmm. you know what you what you said you know we we're we're all the same like we are um something that again, really keeps me grounded i I always remind myself we we are all we are all we got, yep, right and we we're all interconnected just on the 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 base level of being human with all of us with wants and desires and dreams, and like you know that that keeps me grounded and rooted in like we have a shared humanity like Absolutely. let's speak up for one another exactly. right
3: but so it's, it's it's so interesting because you mentioned grounded and um and you're talking about like a uh, network and community and if you, you can put it in this example of like a forest all of the tree roots are rooted and underneath the ground but they're all somehow connected to each other so sometimes when one tree falls it affects the other trees that are all around it. Mm-hmm. And also with, because of this tree network underneath the ground that tells mushrooms where they can be, they can grow. They, you know, it's, it, you know, takes care of the whole uh, forest. And so if you think of yourself as a forest, well, you're not the only tree in the forest. You're not the only tree of your type Mm there's other trees of other types and they all serve a purpose of feeding different animals or Mm -hmm. you know not being meant for other reasons you know we all have a purpose and we're all a part of that same forest
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and i think it you know we when we start this journey i always uh something i'm i've been working on since my journey of of you know deconstructing breaking down some of those things that weren't correct about thinking mm-hmm. was starting you know internally starting with myself and saying what what internalized isms or phobias do i have like for me living as a white a cis male gay male um yeah. but all those contexts of intersections like
4: yeah
1: what kind of internalized homophobia do i still possess that I'm working through yeah um and I think a lot of a lot of you know people in our community especially for gay men we're constantly fighting through that process of like oh wait wow yeah let me think about that for a second that was a little bit that was a little bit homophobic, you know things mm-hmm. like that or like even uh racism like um implicit bias like you know growing up we're so wired to think about race and such a narrow way and to have to it's wired into us to have these certain prejudices of different people and strain and the stranger um and starting to break down those things and say "Whoa, like i need to check myself first i mean i think like that internal process is so important and deconstruction because it's so easy and me and jonathan have this conversation all the time and a lot of people in the deconstructive space um talk about we don't want to fall back into old habits of uh dogma and like mm-hmm. being overzealous in the way we believe now like the the free That's thinking the, the yeah the, like you know th- those things we've learned and we want to try to push it on somebody it's so easy to go back to that conservative mindset mm-hmm. in what we believe now like because we're Absolutely. so passionate and we're so wired about like oh this is so good but then yeah. our wiring we're still working on okay but that we get to work on being able to still have, still speak up, still be able to advocate for people, but at the same time, understanding that we can have a lean to that way of like yeah. proselytizing someone else in the way we believe. And I think that's an easy lean for those of us who have
3: come, to come out calibrate. of
1: that. Yeah, recalibrating like some of yeah. that. Thing. So it's a yeah. lot of work in time. And some people, you know, we have we see like a lot of the big evangelical leaders like talk yeah. about how uh, what is it? I'm pretty sure it's Mark Driscoll. If I'm if I'm saying this correctly, but basically he's that like, you know, it's cool. It's cool to deconstruct. Like they're trying to make it out like, is this fad? you yeah. know, and things like that, but it's not, it's a lot of work in Matt it Chandler. Hearts. It's like Matt Chandler. Okay. See, so, oh, I'm so deconstructed Fargon, I, I don't even know the names anymore um, yeah. <laughs> or the faces. But yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's that they're they're making this narrative of like, oh, it's just cool. No, it hurts. It sucks. Yeah. It's like it's painful. It's like yep. it it's a lot of emotions and dealing with trauma. You lose a lot. Yes. You, you lose, lose a lot. lot.
3: Some people lose their family.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, you. So it's, it's a not it's a big cool <laughs> at all. You know, I mean, no. yeah.
3: I remember I I told uh I told somebody in my family, I said I know you want me to believe in what you believe in, and I'm sorry, but I don't. And you're gonna have to you're gonna have to accept that I don't believe what you believe in, and for you to keep pushing it onto me is not fair, you know. And that's that's one of those things. Uh, so when you think you're talking about dogma also not pushing this deconstruction onto other people because there's so many people i want to be like you can be free you know you can get out you 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 can get it but you know i i have just like for me it took so long Mm
0: -hmm. Mm yeah
3: yeah and i I, everybody has their their time you know
0: yeah so i want to turn a corner here and then um get to um rounded this out and kind of landed this plane going back to your thoughts Sarah about we are the the forest analogy that I thought was a very helpful and beautiful analogy that you brought out about humanity right and on that idea of
2: a collective Mm -hmm.
0: So, you know, we talk a lot of, on the Poorva podcast here about community. How how important community is, and especially how important community is to our healing. Um, yeah. Whether that be, you know, our journey of mental health, you know, yeah. which is uh, super important to us here um, in this community, or you know, our deconstruction journey like healing through that, et cetera. Um, I wanted to go ahead and just give you the opportunity, Sarah, to to, you know, share your story um about uh your miscarriage journey that you know you talked to us about. And then I, I really want to highlight um that in, in the importance of what you talked to us about, of why you wanted to share this story so um other people don't feel alone or the way you did right like and so I'd love to give you an opportunity to kind of share that journey and expound on why it's important that other specifically women hear this journey and and you navigating that and like yeah
3: so um my husband and I had um begun trying if I cry at any point um I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm not sorry because I know you guys love me. Um, but in uh, 2022, December, um, I was pregnant about four weeks and I lost uh, that pregnancy. It was called chemical miscarriage. And um, so like I said I was really, really down about it. It was really difficult, but um, we moved on. And then February 1st of 2023, I found out I was pregnant again. I um, I that I can't remember another time that I was happier seeing those two pink lines And, you know. It was the same feeling as when my I found out I was pregnant with my our son, um, and I was so happy. I was like, this is uh so exciting. I'm so I'm so glad. Um, and uh, it was it was progressing. I was doing good. We went in for my five week checkup, and she said the baby's heart rate is slow, but you know it always starts out slow in the beginning. Um. But what they don't tell you often is that uh, a heartbeat before, like anywhere within the first trimester, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a healthy pregnancy. Um, actually, around six weeks pregnant is when it will go wrong because the baby has to start defending for itself because it's got its own heartbeat now. Um, so I went in for six weeks and then I uh, I got COVID uh, sometime within that month and I went in. For my eight-week appointment, I missed the one day because I had COVID and I got to go in the next week. And um, my in-laws were away with, um, like, a family vacation that we didn't get to do it because I was sick. And so we had no one to watch my son. We had no one. My husband had to stay with us. And my son was uh, was sitting on my husband's lap. And um, she puts the, the belly uh, ultrasound on. And she goes, I can't find it. Um, I'm going to do an internal uh, ultrasound. So she uh, put it in and um, the bubble was empty. Mm. It was just not there. It was gone. And uh, before it was called um, it was called a a blighted ovum. Now it's called a missed abortion. And um, I remember just like staring at the screen and like the first the first thing I said was like it's a blighted ovum, it's gone and she said, Yeah and I said, because at the time I was practicing uh subhanAllah, which means glory be to God, glory be to Allah and I was so in shock for a minute and like this whole time my my husband is holding our son, who's he, he's four. Uh he was well, he was three then and um my son's saying, There's a baby in mommy's belly, there's a baby and there's there's not it's and my body had just not registered that my baby had died um and it could take up to 16 weeks for it to go out naturally so then I had to uh then of course I was crying my my husband could not comfort me properly because we have our son and he doesn't understand what's going on and so then he had to go out and then I had to make an appointment with the doctor because I could have waited for it to be passed naturally but uh for me I didn't feel comfortable with that so I was prescribed medication that uh, prescribed for women who would like to have an abortion, and um, it's uh, two different types of medications. And uh, I I did not handle it well. I had a miscarriage before I uh, was with my husband, with my ex boyfriend, and um, I had flashbacks of that of that time. And I had actually bought pajamas for my baby, and um, Uh, I couldn't find the pajamas and my husband was like, I'll find them later. And in my mind, I was so traumatized. I just wanted the pajamas for my baby. And so, um, I, uh, got so worked up. He had to call my parents. My dad had to like, really like yell at me to get my attention and get me to calm down because I was, I was getting my passports. I was getting to leave. I was packing a bag, you know, like all of these, uh, things that were irrational. And, um, I, I calmed down enough. And then, um, especially after I threw up from crying so hard. And then um, the next morning, I had to take the, the it's a vaginal tablet that you have to take next. And um, the whole gestational sac came out full. And I could see the fetus inside of it. And I remember just like, uh, just holding. Uh, that was like, this is, this that was the only chance that I got to have to hold them in my arms. And um the next day we took it to um a crematorium and um I just had like this little wooden box and on it um because it was it was March when I miscarried and I had like a little daffodil that I I put on there and um uh giving handing handing my baby to
2: the the funeral director so that, so, so that she could incinerate. My my love. Hmm. And I remember just kissing just that take little Take your ball. time. I just remember kissing that little box and then getting the ashes back.
3: And you know, you just you never you never think that you're gonna have to go through something like that and then it happens. Yeah. And so I um not long after that I had to go through uh intensive trauma therapy. And um, that was also very heavy. And then in, uh, and in that time period, there was a really big family fallout because uh, one of my uh, husband's family members disagreed with how I was mourning the loss of my child. And uh, as a result, we don't speak it all anymore um, because I was accused of a lot of things. <clears throat> uh, one of them being that I made my trauma everybody else's trauma, which is not true. My husband was deeply traumatized as he held my three-year-old, our three-year-old child in the echo room, finding out that we just, that it was gone. Yeah. And then in, and then in July, I found out I was pregnant again, and I was, I was also very excited. I remember praying so hard for this baby to be the one that, you know, I was worried, like, if I don't pray, then they'd be on this or I don't know this or that, and I was so scared. And um, two weeks later, six weeks pregnant bleeding started, lost the baby again. And um this one was natural. I I couldn't there was I it didn't come out the way the previous one had, so I had to just uh accept that there would be no closure for that. And um and then in December of this year I had another chemical miscarriage. And um you know, I heard a lot of things from a lot of people. You know, I remember being told growing up that maybe this bad thing happened because this person didn't follow Jesus. And, you know, I heard, I heard some pretty tough things from my Muslim sisters as well. One of them said, maybe Allah took this baby away from you because you were going to love that baby more than him. Or the other one I heard was, um, maybe Allah took this baby away from you because you're suffering and staying, you know, faithful to Allah will give you a higher level of Jannah. because there's a different uh, levels of heaven in Islam and you know those those were tough things to hear as well um I was very much alone I didn't really have much support other than my husband and my in-laws um but knowing that people thought because I I have, I have somebody in my family who has told me that they pray to God to break my spirit so that I turn back to Christianity by any means necessary mm-hmm. And to hear, to remember that and to go through four consecutive losses, you know, is like, you prayed for this to happen to me and you still say you love me? You you, you prayed for my spirit to be broken because, believe me, I will never be the same person that I was before all of this. 2020, twenty 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 three 2023 was the worst year of my life. I I lost so much, you know. And I was, my, my, my other baby was going to be due in March of this year.
2: And so, um, what I wanted to tell people is, is believe in science. Sometimes
3: your body does things because, because it's not meant to work out a blighted ovum. There is literally nothing you could have done to stop that. There's nothing you can do. Because there's something wrong within the, the cell makeup of the fetus. that It just doesn't, doesn't work. A mis- miscarriage is uh, the egg gets fertilized, but it doesn't stick to the wall. So you can still get pregnancy hormones, but you're not actually pregnant. And then um, some, just sometimes you have a low progesterone and everything like that. None of this is contingent upon what you believe in. Hmm. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim, you're a Jew, or a Buddhist. Um, it happens to the best of people. Miscarriages are so normal. And, you know, they say one in four women. I would say it's probably even more common than that. And um, in my case, uh, one in 1,000 women have a mis- miscarriage. That's what um, a blighted ovum is also called. And so it's completely normal. You, you've you done nothing wrong as a as a human being. You have done nothing wrong. Just sometimes these things don't work out because, you know, you, you also watch the nature documentaries, and yeah, the lion has to eat the antelope to survive, and human, humans have survived all of these thousands of years because of the natural selection that we have no control over, because of course, for me, I'd want to have my baby no matter what. It wouldn't matter to me, but the fact of the matter is, is that something went wrong within the makeup of the fetus, and it had nothing to do with what I believed in. It, and it's, and it's okay to admit that to yourself, and, you know, you can, And if it, if praying helps you feel better about being pregnant, absolutely do whatever it takes to give yourself peace, but show yourself some grace as well, you know, your body is an amazing thing, it, it created something, and it, it may have gone away, but it's not gone away for, for forever, I mean, like, they did a, a study where, um, Even miscarried uh, fetuses, the cells stay inside the mother for forever, even long after she has lost the pregnancy. My son, his cells are still part of me because, yeah, I had him in my body, so I carried him. And so that's all part of me. And so, um, you know, it's so important to, like, destigmatize the fact that, one, you are not a vessel to bring humans into this world. That is not your only your only thing in this world. That's, that's not what, all that you're meant for. You can do anything that you want. You can you can be you know you don't have to have children to be a valuable person, you know. Um, and if you want children, I hope that you can have them. You know, get because med- also with me, I am perfectly healthy. I have done every single test under the sun, and they have nothing to tell me why I lost sport. Just sometimes the cells don't line up. And so people will say, well, yeah, well, you know, maybe maybe if you believed in Jesus, no. That's not how it works. You know, I'm, I hate to burst people's bubbles, but science is science, and a lot of Christians reject science. And um, I believe that this is something that really, uh, really damages the community and prevents people from getting the help that they deserve. And so mm-hmm. um, I want to reassure every woman here that listens or, or any, any person who can identify with this story, the miscarriage is so normal. It happens all the time, but it doesn't make your pain any less. And I'm telling you right now, if you want to cry about it for the next week or the next rest of your life, you go ahead and cry about it because you're, that is like, because people say, well, grief, you know, something like this, you know, like grief is for when you, somebody that you already know, you can can grieve the life that you grumped of. The, you know, I I I am still grieving, Even like almost a year later, I remember, um, it turning January and thinking, it's been almost a year since I was pregnant with. But we named it Joe. We don't we don't know the gender, so we gave it a gender name. And it's been almost a year since Joe, and just thinking of that and how much it hurts. And it is okay for it to hurt. There's like, it, it, but the thing is, is like within Christianity, everybody wants to like suffer. Um, and it's suffering is good, suffering, you know, like, yay, let's suffer like Christ. But grieving is, is a different kind of thing. And it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be hurting, you know? Um, but again, it's, it's painful. And I'm not going to tell people that there's a specific time limit that you have to stop, you know, for the longest time, I could not be around babies. And if that's what you have to do to preserve your mental health, do it absolutely do it I you know there's so many people like this one person in particular gave me a really hard time because I didn't want to be around their baby and uh you know I I'm first of all I'm basically alone here I have my husband and his his uh parents and like his aunts and uncles but as far as like people who are from where I'm from I'm very alone if I am not well my family is not well if my husband is not well my family is not well and having good mental health is not something that's nice to have. It is your responsibility as a parent to take care of yourself so you can be there for your child. So if me not being um around other people's babies because I know how it's going to damage me and make me cause my pain, I'm going to put that boundary up and I'm going to keep with that boundary because it means that I'm doing the best that I can for my own family.
2: Mm-hmm. And so,
3: you know, there you, you can you can take care of yourself. It's okay to say no. It's okay to take take a step back and be like, okay, I'm hurting right now. I would rather be alone. Do it. Be alone. If people are going to give you a hard time about it, those are those are not the people that you need to be with, at all. And um like, I, sp- I think also something that helps is having people who will listen to you, share the same story a hundred times, and they'll always listen to it like it was the first time. And that's one of, one of my really good friends. She. She listened to me tell the same thing over and over again. She helped me dissect it over and over again. And, you know, that's like a real friend is to have somebody who will still keep listening and still let you hurt and not tell you to move on from it.
2: Yeah, thank you
1: for for sharing that with us and our our listeners and uh, giving us the opportunity to share that space with you. Um, Something happened to you. It's so
4: difficult, you you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, something happened to you and it was hard and immense loss and I can only imagine uh what that may feel like. It's um yeah. and grief it's comes in many human. shapes and forms. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's just yeah. all of this is part of being human and it's okay mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. you know like I had shared with you uh one time before like in um Islamic I believe it's called eschatology um all the souls uh met were together before they existed in, in Janna and um, they were given a choice to stay there or to go to earth and they got to see their whole lives play out before they ever said, yes, I'll go to, to the earth and become a person. Mm-hmm. And they saw something that soul saw something beautiful in your life to go there and to become a human and live among men. And mm-hmm. I think that concept is really, uh, it gives me so much hope that if, you know, if that, I believe that there's a truth in that, you know, that my soul up there saw even though it saw all these horrible things that I went through, it was still able to say there's still something beautiful there.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: There's mm-hmm. still something that matters. There's still something that I want to be there for. And I think that's that's something that gives me a lot of hope.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful for
2: sure. Yeah, thank thanks for um
0: allowing us to to hold that here in this space, you know, we appreciate well thank yeah, you for
3: providing a safe space to be able to to share that story.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um I'm glad you, you know, wanted to share it. So um going back to the idea of um it, it's gonna resonate with somebody um you know all parts of it the the pain the journey through it um uh, the lessons learned tools hopefulness out of it like um you know uh there, there's healing in sharing our stories and people um identifying and resonating with it um mm-hmm.
1: so yeah we love the opportunity to Hold all different types of stories and hold a safe space for that Um, so many different stories and experiences uh, stories of grief and pain and 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 we want to have the opportunity to be able to share all of that because it's you know it's all some of you know it's not just one part of the sum you know there's so many different experiences that we have and we share or we don't share um, that are complex and that are individual to us and unique to us and uh, we want to create a space here in this uh, for this podcast to allow those conversations to happen naturally. And um, that those there's space for that. Yeah, yeah.
3: absolutely. Especially with like uh, the stigmatisms that come with, uh, come with within religion and this carriage, you know, uh, mm-hmm. if there's really nothing, there's no way that you could have prayed enough for it to happen. This is mm-hmm. yeah. doing what nature does. And I'm, I mean, it, i hate i hate hearing i hate saying that myself because to me i i it's still my baby but mm-hmm. this it's the fact of the matter is nature is doing what nature is doing yeah and it's nothing that you did wrong that's you know it even if i say it a thousand times it's not going to change the fact that somebody's still hurting from it but to acknowledge that for myself is what kind of helped me become a little more free
2: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: so with all of that all that you've shared with us Sarah um what kind of out of your journey and your experiences um what kind of um where do we go from here um for from your journey what what kind of things have you learned tools mechanisms for a to, to help foster good mental health and, like, good overall, like, well-being, like, what things have you learned that have helped you in your journey?
3: Um, I was um, in therapy for close to two years. Um, I was on a lot of uh, antidepressants, antipsychotics, sleeping medications due to a lot of the trauma that I had from when I was younger. Um, I have gone through, I I was admitted to the hospital at some point uh, because I was a threat to myself. I stayed there for about six weeks. And then that was in 2021, at the end of 2021. And then um, I I think addressing that things went wrong and saying to myself something went wrong, how do I fix it, Um, was a big one. Um, Advocating for myself is another big one saying i'm not happy and i don't know why i'm not happy i need help and acknowledge and saying that you need help is the hardest thing that you're gonna have to do but it's going to be so rewarding i promise it is um because i also had a a lot of i don't know if i would necessarily say trauma one of my best friends killed himself from a fentanyl overdose uh in 2021 and um that really affected the way that i i lived uh my life since then as well and um so i think getting good mental health help uh, is like the one of the biggest ones i know it's so difficult for americans to to be able to afford that but over here i was able to get in very quickly um i didn't have to pay anything i only pay my monthly insurance i was uh, so everything even staying in the hospital for six weeks i wasn't, didn't have to pay an arm anything for that except for my monthly medical bills but um Saying there was a good choice, uh, intensive trauma therapy, EMDR. These are very important mm. tools to to go through. EMDR is was extremely beneficial because for my program we did um, two days EMDR and then one of it's called PMT It's like a, it's like a well basically you're allowed to get mad and smash things with a baseball bat. And mm-hmm. so I was able to uh my and it was a safe place to be able to mm-hmm. express that. Because I had a baseball bat, and uh, the, the lady, the therapist that was with me was like, That's your ex boyfriend. Hit him. And I was like, But I, I can't hit him. She was No, hit him and tell him you hate him for what he did to you. And so I was able to just go to town on this little mm-hmm. boxing bag. And uh, I was, yeah. there, and she, was like, she was like, That was really good. And like having that support and letting, like unleashing that anger. Uh, doing sports is great. Um, I was on uh, a lot of different medications. Um, but personally for, for my situation, I needed to have medication only to, um, only to help me process the trauma in a safe environment. And then afterwards I was able to get off of it because that trauma had less than due to mm-hmm. EMDR. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, that was, I think that was one of the big things was that I didn't want to stay on it long term. I wanted to address all of the, the problems that I had. And then when those problems were addressed and I made it through those those times, I was able to get off that medication. It is not the same for everyone. Some people need to take antidepressants long-term, and that's okay as well. It's just for me and my situation, it was more like I had also um, uh, hallucinations because of my trauma. And I would see people and hear people. And after I've had my trauma addressed, I, that happened less. And so... Uh, I wasn't schizophrenic or bipolar. It was just trauma affects you so deeply. Um, also, uh, there's a book called The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Polen. He's a Dutch uh, psychiatrist. Um, it, they say it's a textbook and you shouldn't read it, but I read it and I understood myself so much better uh, being a trauma survivor. And so I think you should, people should educate themselves on psychology, read some psychology books, read uh, books on complex PTSD,
4: Mm -hmm. Um, definitely
3: pick up uh, a few books on religious trauma, because it helps you feel less alone, it helps you feel a little more understood, Um, and so uh, learn for yourself as well, and yeah, medication is is not a bad thing, I remember hearing growing up that there's no such thing as depression, you just don't have enough joy in the Lord, well, Jesus also gave us doctors, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, they know stuff, and it's it is okay. Um, don't let anybody tell you that being uh, that a psychologist or anything else makes you weak, because you're not. Mm-hmm. You just need a little bit of help. You know, I remember telling someone at the, the the hospital when I was staying there, I said, I feel so dumb, I'm in here, and, you know, I just, I just feel like a weak person. And she, she looked at me and she said, I have a question. And I said, yes. And she goes, if you broke your leg, are you, are you unwell? And I said, well, yes, I'm, I'm well, my leg is broke. She said, yeah. And if you're, if you start throwing up and you need to see the doctor, are you unwell? And I said, yes, I'm, I'm sick. And she goes, your brain is as much of a part of your body as your legs and your stomach is. And mm-hmm. right now it's just a little bit broken mm-hmm. and we can fix it and I was just like I because it's like we're talking about like things being stigmatized your brain is a body part just as much as everything else Mm -hmm. and stress affects you all of these different ways Mm -hmm. as well you know with your anxiety and all of this stuff so it's yeah that's just a really important aspect to note as well That yeah it's just all part of your body
1: yeah can you um uh, some of of our listeners may not know what EMDR is uh could you explain a little bit more about what that what that is from your perspective, um, uh, from that process? Yeah.
3: Um, so EMDR, um, it's I, I forget the the science. Yeah, it.
1: it's hard to remember that. Ac- it's, it's an acronym. Yeah, yeah it's an acronym. It's an acronym.
3: Uh, but it basically, uh, it's called I eye, eye Movement, movement. Um, what
1: is it? I, go- I always use Google to uh, say the acronym because yeah. I always uh, yeah, picture I- it so horribly. <laughs>
3: Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. That's it. <laughs> so basically, honestly, for your listeners, listen: EMDR is not comfortable. I had a couple of times where it was like I was transported back in time because you are watching this like flashing light go back and forth, and you're following it. Because when you go to sleep, you go into something called REM, and so um, your body is mimicking that movement. And so what it's actually doing is is you're looking. And you're remembering this and it's helping you to reprocess that memory. And when you reprocess it, you're actually able to also go back in that spot and take yourself out of it. And so like, I remember watching um, this one time, because uh, I had an ex-boyfriend who uh, physically assaulted me uh, multiple times and uh, I was telling one of these stories and um, she had me retell it. And as I'm having to retell it, I feel like I'm there. It is wintertime in, uh, in the north of a, a city that I was living in, and it was freezing. I was crying, and I felt all of that. I was literally transported back in time. And so she said, what would you do if if uh, if you could change it? And I said, I hit him. And she goes, go ahead, hit him. So I'm retelling it. And she's like, did you hit him? And I'm following this light. And I said, yeah. And she goes, how does it make you feel? And I said, good. And she said, now what do you want to do? And I said, now I want to just walk away, and she's like, "If you were there right now, would you just take yourself away?" And I said, "Yes, we would go into captivity, like, make that happen." And so you're like, really. And now my memory is not him grabbing me, is shaking me, is screaming in my face. Now it's him, and in between him and I is my husband hugging me, and that's how I remember it. I don't see it in that same way. When I remind, when I remember that memory, I just see my husband holding me. You know, and so it's like, uh, it is a lot of hard work. It is very um, draining. Mm -hmm. It will make you cry. It was scary, your heart beats really, I thought I was having a heart attack because my heart was beating so fast, but um, it was extremely beneficial for me to reprocess some of these traumatic things that I went through. Um, Of course, everybody's trauma is very different, um, but that's your trauma. And Mm -hmm. you know, I can't tell you whether or not uh, your trauma is too much for EMDR, mm-hmm. but it's gotten a lot of, uh, um, Russell van der Kolk talks in his book about EMDR. And he was one of the four people who had discovered it because it was, it's been going on for a while now. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing it in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks heavily about it and how um, people have recovered from their trauma faster.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
3: <clears throat> also, we had previously talked about yoga. Yoga is mm-hmm. an incredible exercise. They also talk about that in that book about how um, they had uh, EMDR sessions twice a week, I believe, and then yoga three times a week. And those people recovered more quickly from, these were Vietnam War veterans, mm-hmm. recovered from mm-hmm. those war traumas more quickly than people who just took medication and went to therapy. Mm-hmm. Yoga is an incredible thing to become into with your body. I, they even, listen, guys, they even have um, uh, miscarriage yoga, where it helps you like realign your your body and be okay with with grief and loss and feeling that grief and loss inside your body and able to to get it out of your body. That is something that exists and I believe is very healthy. They have feel good for everything. There's different poses that help you feel different parts of your body and to feel more sure about yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah, that's some good stuff for sure. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And I wanna make a side note, um, this explanation of uh, explaining what EMDR is. Is not a replacement of speaking with a qualified mental health professional. This is just simply Absolutely. a peer perspective. If you are interested in uh, more information about EMDR, we will post some some research in the notes so you can kind of just get an idea. Some helpful friendly user guides that I know of some friendly user guides out there that you can look at yeah. about EMDR. Um, speak to a mental health professional, your doctor, about that process. It is an evidence based yeah, practice. Do it yourself. Right. It is an evidence-based practice. So it, it has shown uh, evidence of being very helpful for those who have experienced immense amounts of trauma, things like that. So this is not a replacement of that. Um, do your research and speak to a qualified mental health professional.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
1: Thank, thanks for that, Kyle.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Sarah, um, thank you so much for Uh, lending your voice to our space here and just being vulnerable and letting us just, just hold this journey and story of yours. And, uh, I know, like I said, this is, I know this is going to be an impactful conversation for a lot of people. What's going to resonate, um, with a lot of people.
1: So thank you. No, thank you. It
3: was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, we enjoyed yeah. having you on and reconnecting again. Um, yeah. Since it's been so also feels like to speak
3: English. right, right. That's right. You yeah. can actually
1: speak, yeah. and you're. So uh, still, I'm still
3: stumbling over so stumbling over my words because I'm so used to hearing Dutch every day. So I'm just like, wait a minute.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for sure, <laughs> I, I my vocabulary is lacking. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, before we end the uh, podcast, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners about where you're at now on this journey? Uh, where we can find you, what things you're working on, what things you're pursuing as uh, your journey continues.
3: Yeah. Um, so I am starting my um, my own earring business. I have a TikTok account. It's called uh, Joe Lou's Boutique. Uh, Joe Lou, well my first uh, baby was Joe and then the second one we named Lou. So it's after the two babies that we had the, that had had the heartbeats. And um, so That's what it what it is. I make a, a few ASMR videos for restocking, mm-hmm, right? Industry, you know, <laughs> um, so you can find me on there. Um, if anybody ever wanted to reach out, I yeah, I'm on TikTok as Joelu's Boutique, um, and also joelu's boutique at outlook.com. Um, because maybe for them it, it would feel good to share their own miscarriage story with me and having somebody that you know can understand how they feel because sometimes we feel like we share too much with the same people and over and over again, we're overwhelming them. And I'm always here to listen. Uh, I never want people to feel as alone as I felt, uh, definitely would never want that for anyone. Um, yeah, I, uh, I've been mainly building up my business. Um, I have completely left all religion. I am very open, open open-minded. I would consider myself a spiritual person. Um, so I yeah I'm not gonna judge anyone for what they believe, um, and I don't I don't know what will happen next. My my husband said to me he said it's so weird to hear you talk about religion so differently than how you had the previous year and a half. And I said it's because of you that I was able to do any of that in the first place. Because you offered me an environment to be able to do that. So if like you guys I can also be a safe space for some people, I would absolutely mm-hmm. um, be okay with that. Um, and I'm, and if anybody had any questions for me or anything like that, I'm always free to, to talk or just be mm-hmm. a friend mm-hmm. for the problem.
0: Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, I will, uh, throw your TikTok and the show notes in. So listeners check the show notes to, if you want to connect with Sarah or you're somebody that resonates with the journey of a miscarriage and like, you need to feel less alone. Um, check that out um also the um information on uh, mdr and therapy that'll also be in the show notes Um, ways to connect with the broader peaks and valleys community Uh, check that out how you can connect with us so
1: all right kyle any last thoughts thank you yeah we had a lot to say and it was a good episode and i'm glad that sarah had an opportunity to come on and reminisce and get to talk about things and talk about life and experiences and
2: yeah, yep
3: yeah to recognize that we're all still human.
1: yep, that's right yep that's
2: right yep, yep.
0: all right well guys, Thank thanks for coming to our table sharing a space with us in our corner of the internet and we will catch you guys on the next episode of the Poorver podcast. Peace. Bye.